Awareness, the final frontier. These are the explorations of Jonathan Robinson and Brian Tom O'Connor. Their continuing mission, to discover fresh new paths to the mystery within, to seek out new joys and new methods of awakening, to boldly go into the heart of expanded consciousness. This is Awareness Explorers. Welcome back, fellow explorers of the inner realms. I am Jonathan Robinson. I'm with my trusted co-host, Brian Tom O'Connor. And today we are exploring the cosmos via the amazingly powerful technique known as questions. Questions are the answer if you know how to make use of them. And that's what we're going to be talking about, their value. Uh, and we are also going to be talking about answering certain questions that we have received from our listeners over time. And Brian and I are going to give our best shot of answering these questions because luckily uh, he and I, between us, know everything. Is that right, Brian? <laughs> Uh, yes, sure. We know everything, right? Yeah, that and exactly. uh, what is it now? Two seventy-five will get you on the subway. Yeah, yeah. That that pretty much uh, makes it uh, our, ourselves credible. Um, <laughs> and we do have a podcast on about awareness, so hopefully we know something about that, and we'll see. Uh, we never know what's going to come out of our mouth, so hopefully it'll be good stuff. But when I, I. I ask you or, or bring up the subject of questions, I always like to get your first hit on what comes up for you. Well, questions in particularly in the area of awareness practices are very interesting because we can differentiate from questions that are legitimate questions that someone wants to know about, or we can also talk about questions as a practice. For instance, mm -hmm. self-inquiry, the classic question, who am I? Or what is experiencing? What is knowing my experience? And these types of questions, we don't ask in order to get an answer. We ask because the act of asking them turns our attention around from the outside to inside, from the content of awareness to awareness itself. So that's my first take on questions. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because questions can be a technique for pointing to consciousness. Questions can be a way of learning, like you want to know, you know, some fact or some piece of information, even if it's spiritual information. But there's another hit on questions that's almost never talked about, which is um, asking questions to explore a topic so you can go deeper below the surface into a topic and thereby expand your mind intellectually. Yes. And in, in the spiritual group I was in, we did this a lot. And we, and, and we would sit around and explore a question. And it might be a question like, uh, why was Trump elected? And we would take it apart. And soon we would see that how everything's connected and how uh, this led to this. And we would we would get really high just from exploring a question that really didn't have an answer. They had a thousand answers. And as you explored the answers, the layers of answers, 
we would feel really, really expanded. And sometimes when we, when people ask a question, they just want, just give me the answer. And that's kind of um, a way of shutting yourself off from this experience of seeing how complex and interrelated and deep every question really is. That's right. And particularly in the case of people who want yes or no answers to their questions, because the world is very complex. Humans are very complex. And hardly any truthful answer can be boiled down to simple yes or no. Um, but the other thing that you mentioned about questions about going deeper, even apart from the spiritual realm, just practically, I don't learn very well from a person standing uh, in front of a class giving a lecture. I yeah. learn that they're talking to me, and as they're talking, I ask questions if I don't get the last sentence. I just, if there's a give and take, and I can ask questions while they're explaining, while they're teaching, I learn much faster and much, much more, uh, much more easily and deeper. Absolutely. And, you know, I wrote two books that were primarily questions, uh, one called Instant Insight and one called Life's Big Questions. And the reason I wrote them is I, I basically asked, how can I be of service? And I realized that asking good questions, asking deep questions, and really exploring the answers was one of the best ways to learn. And one of the best ways to connect with people as well. When you ask somebody a deep question, it allows you to get to really know them in a way that's a lot better than, would you like fries with that order? <laughs> so I think we have to be careful. We are going to mention a bunch of questions that our viewers have asked, and we're going to try to answer them. But don't do this at home. If somebody asks you a question, try to explore them, not so much so you get to a easy resolution or answer, but so that you get to see how complex and deep and profound the search for answers can be. Because in searching for answers and exploring answers, that's another way to explore awareness, explore yourself, and explore someone else. That's absolutely right. And one other thing about questions and answers is that even the best answer that you and I could come up with, or another spiritual teacher of greater wisdom than we have could come up with, is not going to really be the whole truth. Because mm -hmm. the brain is constructed in kind of a, a way that we look for duality, we look for separation, we look for the differences between things. And it's on an eternal mission to figure out what's wrong with this moment and how to fix it. But if we take the non-dual point of view that all is one, it's all one energy just flowing and taking on temporary forms, then language with its limitations to separateness can't really encompass the truth. So with that mm -hmm. caveat, you can take our answers with a grain of salt or see if they lead towards a kind of intuitive knowing of the oneness yeah. of all things. I, I am reminded of one story right before we go into a question. I once sat next to what was probably considered the world's expert on photosynthesis. 
And I had read, you know, a biology book or plant book, so I thought I knew what photosynthesis was. So I asked him, uh, you know, is, is this the, my... Uh, so I gave my 10-second explanation of photosynthesis, which is about how much knowledge I have about it. And I said, is that basically right? And he said, well, in 10 seconds, that's a good answer. I have written 17 books on the subject that total 23,000 pages. I've studied it for 40 hours for the last 40 years. I have no idea what photosynthesis is. I used to. Before I, I studied it, I, I could tell you what it was. And now that I am the world's expert, I haven't a clue. Ah, the world and its mysteries. What a beautiful example. Yeah. Uh, so often, um, we're just trying to satisfy our mind. The world is infinitely complex, and opening to that infinity of complexity can be um, a little bit hard at first, but it can also be joyous. Yes, indeed. So with that caveat, or our multiple caveats, uh, throw us the first question, cosmic question. We should be able to answer it in five words or less. All righty. Uh, one listener submitted this question. What would you say are the forms of meditation that function as physical exercise? Ah, yes, I can answer that very simply. <laughs> uh, what, what occurs to me is that really anything where you're moving your body is both the form of exercise and can be a meditation if you are using that body movement as a focus, meaning you're placing your attention on how your body's moving, such as in walking or Tai Chi or yoga or dance. Um, and it can also not be a form of meditation, meaning maybe you're just, you know, walking and chewing gum and listening to the radio. That's not meditation. So meditation is really either like mindfulness where you're focusing on an activity or you're focusing on the background of awareness while you're doing that activity. So I think there's a lot of forms of what used to be meditation, such as yoga, you know, where you're really feeling into each movement as you're doing it, that kind of degraded into, you know, just a form of exercise. And where, you know, I know when I did yoga in a class recently, I spent more time looking at the uh, women in the room than I did in focusing on the intricacies of my body sensations. So I would say during that time, I was not doing actual yoga. I was just doing physical exercise with a distracted mind. Yes, that, that's true. I, it's true that I think any physical activity... Um, from walking to running to yoga to even some sports, when you narrow the focus of your attention either to just what you're doing now in this moment or what is the body feeling right now in this moment or what is aware of my experience now. If you narrow your focus to any one of those things, any physical activity uh, can become a meditation. We agree, which means we must be right. <laughs> Either that or terribly, terribly wrong, because we're not yes. seeing both sides. Right. Um, okay, let's move on to the next question. Um, one of our listeners writes, 
I feel like everything I know is limited to within my own brain, and all other consciousnesses are concepts that I create inside it. I understand that my awareness is the same as any other beings, but they each have their own brains where they experience it. So how can I experience oneness with other consciousnesses? That, I think, is yep. a really deep question. <laughs> you take the first crack at that. Okay, I'd like to take a crack at it, because this is actually one of the fundamental illusions, that the content of our brains is who we are. And it's really not. The content of our, of our brains or the content of our minds are individual in this particular body. But who we are is what experiences that content. In other words, let's say in your mind you're talking to yourself. Who is hearing that thought? And one of the best analogies I came up with, I think, to help with this is the, is the analogy of the Mars rover. Let's say you have a Mars rover, and it's programmed to rove around Mars, and it's got computer programs, it's got cameras, it's got sensors on its wheels, it's got a little algorithm that says when it reaches an obstacle to turn, it's got little devices that might sample the soil, do a quick analysis or the air, and then send the data back to mission control. Within the uh, computer of this little Mars rover, that's like the individual minds. But what is receiving the data is mission control. And that's who we are. We're mission control. And mission control is aware of the data being received from multiple Mars rovers roaming around, which may not be interacting with each other. So they might not know what the other Mars rover data is, but mission control is aware of everything. And that's sort of like universal consciousness as opposed to the individual. So it's really the content of our mind isn't going to necessarily know what the other is, what the other Mars rovers or the other individual minds are thinking. And it's a one-way stream. We're sending data back to mission control. But when we start to quiet a little bit, when we start to quiet our thinking mind, when we start to look inside, we establish a connection to mission control and the, there's a little bit of a two-way communication. And so we can start to sense the oneness of everything behind us, not in words, not in concepts, because that's not how universal consciousness communicates to the individual mind, but it's a felt sense of oneness with everything. And it comes when we shift our attention from the content of our minds, including thoughts, experiences, and sensations, to that which is experiencing it, imagining that we are that, knowing that we are that, acting as if we are that, and realizing that that is the same for all individual minds. It's what experiences all minds. I can't add anything to that, Brian. That was a great answer. So thanks for ruining it for me. <laughs> oh, Jonathan, so much fun. I love your responses sometimes. Should we move on to the next question then? Please. Yes, yes. Okay. Um, 
A listener writes, I've registered for a Vipassana retreat and I'm beginning my awareness tuning journey. I'd love some advice. I'm now questioning whether I might use that time more effectively. For example, practicing different techniques like being in nature, uh, Locke Kelly's glimpse practices throughout the day, uh, walking or talking while aware. These seem instinctively more useful than calming my mind for 10 days and then simply returning to reality. What do you think, Jonathan? I, I think it's a great question and one that I never hear. So I think it's doubly great. Um, and as with a re most really good questions, there is no clear answer. I think it's one of those questions where you explore it. Now, if you've done a Vipassana retreat before, then I'd say, well, yeah, then try the other one. See what that does for you. If you have not done a Vipassana retreat before, I'd say, well, try that one because you don't know what effect it will have. But I think in general um, that people often separate themselves from life to practice spirituality. And I think early on in the journey, that's very useful because you need that, that, you know, like if you're planting a seedling, you need a little fence around it because it's very fragile. But as you go on in the journey, I think you need, it's better to focus on things in life because you want to ultimately make your spirituality and your life completely intertwined. They're really the same thing. So early on the journey, I'd say, yeah, maybe do a Vipassana retreat or if you've never done one, but later on to try to spend time doing experiments where you integrate non-dual awareness practices into things like walking to your car or doing email or talking on the phone and that that will likely help you take your next step. Yes, I agree. And, and just from simple, uh, just from my own firsthand experience, I find that the idea of small glimpses many times throughout the day, enormously helpful. Anytime something comes up that generates an emotion I might not want, I just simply ask, what is this appearing in? and shift the attention to awareness itself. And when you do that many, many times throughout the day, for a few seconds even, or if you want for, for longer time, if, if you want to sit in meditation, but if you do it often, it starts to become second nature. And when that little clutch of tension of, uh, of an emotion or something that you don't want happens, it becomes second nature that you look to the awareness in which it is all appearing. And awareness is so accepting and open and loving that it will send its perfume back to you and color the way you experience life. I like your answer better than mine. Can I switch my answer to yours? <laughs> no, I think your answer is really useful too. Okay, yeah, no. Yeah, we're, together we're one really wise being. Yeah, it's a both and. It's it's two it's two two sides of the coin. It's the two yeah. wings, yeah. one of my favorite analogy of yours. Uh-huh. Good, that was good. Next question. All righty. Um how to get a more direct experience or intimate experience as some call it. Is it wanting or thinking about it that prevents a direct experience? 
certainly uh, thinking about it will prevent a direct experience. Um, but also if you do nothing, that doesn't help either. You know, it's the old, do you do some, do you, do you do nothing or do you do something? Well, both right. have their potential obstacle. Um, but I would say that there are guided meditations, say um, the, I think it's episode 52 where uh, Dr. Amy Lindgren does uh, a guided meditation on how to have a direct experience. And I would guide people to that. Um, the other thing is it's really not that unusual of an experience. You know, you look out into the trees and you appreciate beauty and you just really get caught in the beauty of something, whether it be nature or music that we think of as fireworks going off and, and God parting the clouds. But I think we do have little moments of direct experience a lot. And you do have to kind of just relax into them. Uh, and too much thinking about it and efforting gets in the way. And doing nothing is not a way to do it. So it's, it's a fine line that you learn to walk of just really being fully in the moment. Right. So I guess it's not either, as you say, it's not either doing nothing and sitting on the couch and cracking open a beer. And it's also not uh, um, putting a lot of effort into trying to create a state that, that you're not in now. Would you say that's accurate, but finding something in between? Yeah, very gentle effort or very gentle movement of consciousness towards being absorbed in something. Yeah, yeah, right. I sometimes think of it as the least amount of effort possible to keep your focus on awareness itself. Mm -hmm. Or either awareness itself or awareness of a object outside of you. Because, you know, drinking wine can be this pure experience or or looking at a tree so i think there's really two experiences there's the experience of focusing on awareness itself which is one type of pure experience another type of pure experience is that you're fully present to things outside of you without thought ah right yeah i agree yeah that's the key it, because with the thought, the thought creates like a virtual reality. And without the thoughts, mm -hmm. we're just experiencing it directly. It's direct reality, real reality. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the good distinction. Yeah. All righty. Um, <clears throat> this is fun. I like exploring questions. <laughs> they are fun. Yes. A uh, user, I mean, a listener asks, I can't understand why awareness would think or designate horribly depressing thoughts to this conception of me. If I am awareness and it contains everything, why wouldn't happier thoughts appear to this body-mind? <laughs> oh, yes, that is a good question. Um, the body-mind isn't who we are, and awareness is actually 
oddly enough, this is totally counterintuitive, but awareness is absolutely okay with unhappy thoughts. Awareness is happy even when you are sad, meaning you being not the real you, the false you, the individual you is might be sad, but the real you, awareness itself, is totally okay with being sad. It's totally okay with whatever arises. What do you think? Yeah, awareness isn't doesn't choose thoughts. Um, it has no agenda that way. Um, it witnesses them. But I would say what in certain body minds um, our childhood conditioning, trauma, our DNA, uh, all those things are what is creating maybe chemical imbalances. All those things can lead to a preponderance of negative thinking. And that's, you know, the hand you're dealt. Luckily, uh, you can, as you spend more time in awareness, not be the victim of such past karma, DNA, you know, conditioning. You and I both had difficult, depressive times in our life. But as we learn to become present to our awareness, those thoughts started to slide off us like water off a duck's back. Yeah, right. Excellent. Um, we have one more question from listeners, and then we thought we'd uh, trade a couple of questions uh, between the two of us um, mm -hmm. and ask each other some questions. So the last one is, uh, uh, many non-duality books are not of practical use. This is it's as if there's a conspiracy for authors to tease and confuse people who are desperately seeking awakening, but are forbidden to offer any practical advice for fear of being arrested by the Advaita police. <laughs> a lot of spiritual teachings, mm -hmm. especially in non-duality, state that you are already awareness, that there's nothing you can do. But what if I don't yet feel that I am awareness or that I am one with everything? If there is nothing to do and nowhere to go, how can I practice and how can I make progress toward awakening? Well, you give the first shot at that. Well, I think that, uh, I think that you touched on this um, before in our previous question when we talked about um, whether there's something to do or, or, or nothing to do. Um, and one thing is that when we are when we don't have any intentions, when we drop the feeling that we must change our experience, a kind of a relaxation happens back into our true nature of awareness. When we stop trying to change our experience. But the problem is that just like doing nothing is not easy. You need to actually practice doing nothing because if you sit, you're going to automatically have an agenda. You're automatically going to try to change your experience. So the practice is sit and see how long you can go without doing any strategy to change your experience. So that is actually a practice that you can do, even though 
It's a non-practice because you're not trying to bring about any particular experience or state. Mm-hmm. Good answer. I would just say that, you know, a lot of the Advaita people kind of like to be philosophically correct. And uh, being philosophically correct is different than being practically correct. Um, so I wouldn't get caught up in, you know, the philosophy of something. I, I more want the direct experience. And practically speaking, uh, if you're not experiencing higher states of consciousness or unity, there's probably doing something is a useful thing. And don't worry about the Advaita police. Uh, they they currently are not killing anyone. They're just uh, making people confused. <laughs> That's right. And and yeah, I totally agree with you. I basically do what works for me. And um, I have a whole lot of different things that I might try. If on one day, one of them doesn't work, I've got another one. But they're all really aimed at the same thing, which is turning attention inward to our true nature as as pure consciousness or, or awareness and yeah. resting in that luxuriating in that uh, marinating in that. I like the word marinating. Yeah, that I got from Locke Kelly. That's one of his favorites. Uh -huh. So uh, now our questions. Yeah. You want to start? Or you want me to start? Um, I'll ask you a question. Um, All right. You know, I love your book, Awareness Games, and uh, I'm wondering what two or three games from that book tend to be the ones that people respond to the most. Oh, thanks. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I think the one game that I've gotten more positive response is an utterly short, utterly simple game. I call it Born Yesterday, or sometimes I call it the Just mm -hmm. Born Identity. And all it is, is just, there's just really two things. You imagine you were just born a little while ago. And then imagine that you haven't learned any of the words or concepts or fears or ideas about yourself in the world that you've accumulated up to now. So you just sit and imagine. You don't have words to describe anything. You don't have concepts. You don't have an idea that you're separate from anything. It's just all new and fresh. And I found people people really like that and respond to that. I guess yeah. the other one would be um, Slippery Mind, uh, hmm. which is one of my favorites. I, I, I got the whole idea from a funhouse disc from when I was a kid that used to spin and we would sit on it and try and stay on it. but. Every time we would shift positions, we'd slide, slide off it. And, and it's just, imagine your mind is a very smooth, slippery disc. And when thoughts come on, they might stay for a little while, but if you, maybe if you give them a little nudge, they'll just slide out the other side. So you just imagine that thoughts are coming in. The disc is spinning. It's very slippery. And the thoughts just slide on out the other side. Great. That's helpful. Thank you, Brian. Sure. Okay. I have a question for you. Uh, a lot of people are 
suffering loss of income during this pandemic crisis. Uh, do you have any advice from an awareness perspective on how to cope with people's financial woes? Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, I, I wrote this book, Coronavirus Pandemic Survival Guide, and it has 101 ways to thrive physically, financially, and emotionally. So I talk a lot about finances there, and people can download the book for free at viruscoach.net. That's totally free, viruscoach.net. I have a lot of information about how to deal with the difficult financial situations people are dealing with from, you know, gain a new job to dealing with money worries. But, you know, uh, the way people often deal with crises is either denial, distraction, or panic. And none of those is a good strategy. Um, the best strategies are, are first getting a, a close to a sense of calm through any awareness practice you use. Because when your mind is calm, you make clearer decisions. You can see more clearly. So that's one thing I would advise. Um, and one way of doing that is just to feel grateful for what you do have. Uh, that can calm your mind and that can bring you presence. Um, but once you are calm and present, then setting goals, whether it be calling five potential clients to, you know, getting a new job, but acting from panic or great anxiety is not a good approach, nor is denial. So I would encourage people to do their practices that help them to be centered and then listen for what they should be doing, feeling grateful for uh, the present moment and, and possibly uh, then setting goals, which I talk a lot about in the uh, pandemic survival guide. And once again, you know, that, that might be useful for you and you can download it for free. I think that's great that you wrote that and that you made it available for free to everybody. I think it's so helpful. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You have time for My a couple pleasure. more? Uh, yeah. Uh, won't we have you ask one more that we might call it a day? Then I have a guided meditations on questions, which I want to make sure we have time for. All righty. Um, so this is a question that a lot of people actually ask me. And I, I, I thought... Uh, it would be, I thought I'd like to ask you and see what your take on it. And the question usually goes something like this. Uh, when I meditate, I feel peaceful. And that this lasts for some time after I stop meditating. But as soon as I start paying attention to the news, the sense of peace dissipates. So what do you recommend for dealing with the craziness of the world and politics and wars and health crises? Well, that's a simple question. We should be able to cover that in 20 seconds or so pretty <laughs> thoroughly, don't you think? Yeah, we should probably save this for an entire episode. But let's give it a, a, a minute uh, version or whatever. Okay. Um, well, you know, one way of looking at the craziness of the world uh, is that that's going to continue. It's always been crazy. People have been crazy. Uh, it's now uh, going to be crazier for a while. 
But that's really the we experience it as crazy because it triggers stuff in us. And so when things get um, really weird, like they are now, that gives you more of an opportunity to look at your own triggering, your own conditioning, and possibly unravel it a little bit. Um, so in a way, I think it's good that we're all in this cauldron now because the shadow shows up more and you can blame you know our politics or you can blame the virus or you can blame your money situation but it really is a better showing of what is in you that is not um free that is getting plucked in a certain way and it gives you an opportunity to look at that stuff, bring it to light, maybe work on it through some kind of method that helps release it or um, helps to unearth it in ways that are useful. And I know both you and I in our awareness coaching sometimes help clients that way to get them to look at their stuff so that it slowly unravels and it doesn't get um to be such an obstacle that shows up in daily life mm -hmm. right well thank you for that sage advice and, and hard times there's there's plenty of opportunities we're getting to see our stuff nowadays <laughs> oh there certainly is and um just shakespeare summed it up so greatly when he said uh there is nothing either good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Yeah, absolutely. So um, should we move on to your guided meditation? Yeah, let's do that. And that was fun. I want to thank everybody for bringing, or, uh, bringing their questions. And feel free to continue to bring your questions in our, uh, by contacting us, uh, Awareness explorers.com or if you're interested in stuff like coaching you know uh, let Brian or us know uh, because these are difficult times and getting support can be really helpful and there is a lot of stuff that's coming up and during this time before I go into the guided meditation I also want to mention that sometimes having a question that you're exploring in your life such as, you know, what would help me to be happier now? Or what can I do to bring more awareness into life? Or what keeps me from having better relationships? These types of questions are things that you might spend a month or a year or a decade exploring because questions help us to focus and they give us uh, something to research, something to look for. And in that way, they can be a real help on the spiritual journey. So what I'd like you to do for now is to uh, make yourself comfortable and just settle in. And we'll be exploring the value of questions and the value of exploring with questions. So as you settle in by focusing on your breath or 
how your seat feels. I'm going to ask you some questions and I like you to rather than try to come up with an answer to the questions. I'd like you to take the questions and see if you can dive into the complexity, the expansion to the opening that these questions can provide. So the first question is, you know, physicists now say that as best as they know, the universe might be infinite. It's hard to comprehend infinity. What is infinity? I mean, if the universe is truly infinite, that means it never, ever ends. Does that mean there's another one of you on some faraway galaxy that is doing the same thing you are? Does infinity mean that you've done this same exact moment a million times? What does infinity mean? You can use a question almost like a mantra where you periodically ask it and ride the waves of it into, in this case, infinity. What is infinity? And feel free at any time in your life to play with that question as a opening to a place of not knowing, a place beyond mind. We'll do this with one other question. In this case, how did the universe begin? Or if you prefer, how did God begin? Was there something before God in the universe? Or was it always there? If God and the universe were always there, how is that possible? And if God or the universe weren't always there, how did they arise from nothing? 
in contemplating a question like that, sometimes we try to answer it with the mind, and we see that the mind has limits. That if we stick with the question and the impossibility of answering it with the mind, we can enter into a realm where, in a certain way, we know the answer, but it's not with the mind. It's not with rational thought. It's with the thing in us that is beyond mind. Now allow yourself to relax into that as best you can. And I have one more question for you, and that is something which you can hopefully intuit. And that is, what question would you want to ask an omniscient being, an all-knowing being, if you had only just one question you could ask an omniscient being, what is it that you would really, really want to know. Just sit with that question and see if any answer shows up for you. What question would you want the answer to? And if an answer showed up, I would encourage you to sit with that question like a Zen koan and maybe research it, maybe ask, and it shall be answered over time or within yourself. Because a burning question can ignite one into a whole new experience of life. And as you hope and pray for an answer and maybe research an answer to your burning question, know that a good question is like a rocket that can blast you off into a whole other realm and experience. Gradually come back to the room you're in, feeling your chair, feeling your body, feeling a hopeful expansion from having traveled on the wave of a question. And as best you can, bring that expansive open mind 
into your life as you see things from the childlike curiosity, a childlike wonder that is always there within us. Welcome back. Oh, I love those kind of questions. And speaking of childlike wonder, it reminded me, I used to lie in bed asking, what if there was nothing when I was a kid? Mm. And it would engender this sort of, I don't know, this strange sort of feeling and sensation that I couldn't put words to, but it was marvelous. Anyway, I thank you for that, Jonathan. That was terrific. And I loved that you asked the, what did you call it? An all-knowing being? An omniscient being. Omniscient being, right. Well, just remind our listeners that you are that omniscient being, that when you go deep enough to your true nature of everything, of the universe, you are that omniscient being, because you are everything. Yep, yep. Always fun playing with you, and I want to thank our listeners for playing this game with us, the, uh, the master game of knowing <laughs> your true self. Please, please uh, spread the word with your friends and family. Anything you want to add, Brian? No, thank you again for sending your questions. And if you have more, send them in. Who knows, we may do another uh, Q&A episode down the road. Yeah. And this uh, trying time, be sure to take really good care of yourself, really good care of each other. And if we can be of any help, feel free to email us. And uh, till next time, keep exploring. Keep exploring. Thank you for listening to Awareness Explorers. To learn more, you can check out our website at awarenessexplorers.com. Please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. And we'd love it if you would post a review. And please share our link on Facebook and with family and friends. Because knowing yourself as awareness is the greatest gift you can give yourself or someone you love.